The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. The second week of a series, it's a little three-week series we're doing called The Art of Discipline. And uh, in this series, we're exploring different spiritual disciplines and and the formative effect they can have in our lives. And so uh, last week, we looked at prayer. And we looked at, at how that fit into our lives. And then next week, we're going we're gonna to close this little series off by looking at fasting, everyone's favorite topic. And then today, uh, we're going to look at meditation. And in particular, I'm talking about meditation on Scripture, what it means for us to, to just read God's Word or engage God's Word and really soak in it and let that change us. That's what we're going to look at today. Uh, and so to, to frame our time together around that this morning, I just want to tell you a story uh, about the greatest compliment I ever received in my life. Um, when I was a, a junior and, and senior in college, I ended up uh, befriending uh, a middle-aged couple, as one does, and, um, and we would, and, and, and we'd hang out like once a week, and, and I'd go over to their place, and, and we'd, uh, we'd uh, eat dinner and have drinks, and we'd listen to, to vinyl records, because that was cool, and, and, and we'd do that, and we'd, we'd talk late into the night, and we'd have these, these just deep conversations about life, and, and just the big questions of life, what's the purpose, why are we here, what's going on, and we, and we just dig into all that, and um, I remember uh, one weekend, they, uh, they, they went out of town, and, and they came back, and, and they had gone away on a little weekend trip, and I said, hey, so, so how was is, how is your, your weekend away? And they said, oh, Gabe, it was so fun. It was so fun. Uh, we did the coolest thing ever. We went to a workshop of a guy who makes wooden carousel horses. It's incredible. And my first thought when they told me this was like, we have very different definitions on what a fun weekend is, right? Uh, and I was like... I, I don't want to grow old, you know, it's like Peter Pan came out, like, okay, but anyways, uh, and then, but then they went on, he said, and uh, Paul, who was the husband in this relationship, he went on and he said, and Gabe, it was just incredible to see this guy work on these horses, he just devoted himself to this craft, he just, he threw himself into his work, and he just was so absorbed in his work, and just all the nuances, and all the, all the effort that he put into it, he just was all about it, his whole life was just sort of geared towards this work, and, and Paul shared this with me, I was like, well, that's cool, and, and Paul, um, I should tell you, was, uh, was, a, was an atheist and, and an agnostic. He'd sort of fluctuate between there not being a God and him not being sure if there wasn't a God. And, and that was kind of his thing. Uh, and so that, that was his belief. And so we'd always have these interesting conversations. But he's telling me about this carousel horse. And he says, but Gabe, I couldn't help but think about you while I was watching this guy. So I couldn't help but think about you. That the way this guy uh, went into his work, the way he just cared so much, poured everything he had into making these horses. He said, it made me think about the way you talk about God. He said, when you talk about God and when you think about God, he said, Gabe, I just get this feeling that you're just like throwing yourself in there, that you're just obsessed with knowing about him. And that was, that was the greatest compliment I ever received. Here's this guy who doesn't believe what I believe, but he, he, he spoke this to me and I was just taken back. And I said, thanks, Paul. You know, like that, that means a lot. And I said, I don't know what it is in that stage of my life. I said, you know, I'm just, I'm really hungry for him right now. And I said, I just, I said, I've been digging into the Bible a lot lately. And, and it's just like the light bulbs are going off. It's like things just, just keep ringing true for me as I, as I dig into this book. And, and Paul said to me, he said, well, that's, that's good for you, Gabe. And, and I'm happy for you. He said, that's just never worked for me. That just hasn't been the case for me. He said, uh, I, I just can't seem to trust that, that book, the Bible, as being reliable as being an actual revelation of the living God. He said, it's just hard for me to accept that truth. So I'm glad it works for you, but, it, but it's hard for me to see that as actually true. And, uh, and I gotta be honest, I don't think he's the only one that thinks that, right? I think there's a lot of people that they have a hard time wrestling that, that this book 
is, is the revelation of God. And so as we get started on what it is to, to meditate on this word, what it is to let this sink into our hearts, I want us first of all to recognize that this is a, a reliable document, that there's, there's things here worth listening to. And that's what we see in Psalm 1, that, that right off the bat, uh, the psalmist, as he writes, is, is trying to help us see that this word is reliable, that it's worth listening to. But then the second thing he shows us is that there's value in meditating on it. The third thing we see is he actually shows us a little bit how to do that. And then finally, uh, he shows us what the end result is as we engage Scripture. All right, so that's what we're going to see as we go through Psalm 1, that Scripture is re- reliable, there's value in it, uh, that there's a way to do it, and finally, what the end result is. And so let's, let's get going with that. First of all, with uh, the reliability of Scripture. Look with me at the first couple verses of Psalm 1. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. All right, so this psalm, it sets up this contrast. It says, blessed is the man, or uh, another way we may modernize that is say, joyful is the person. All right, gender neutral, everybody happy? Okay, so, so uh, blessed is the man, joyful is the person who, who on the one hand doesn't listen and act according to the counsel of the wicked, and then on the other hand finds his delight in the law of the Lord. And so it's this stark contrast set up by the psalmist. Either you listen and act according to the counsel of the wicked, or you delight yourself in the law of the Lord. This is the contrast the psalmist is setting up here. And I, and, and I say that, and I feel like a gut reaction to that might be something along the lines of like, well, that seems a little overly simplistic, right? As you go about your life, either you're listening to the counsel of the wicked, or you're listening to the law of the Lord. Like, isn't there a middle ground there? Like, can't we listen to wise counsel from other people uh, that isn't inherently evil? Yeah, okay, yes, that's fine, of course. But what this text is getting at is a pattern of life. It's a pattern of life. Do you see what the psalmist is doing here? He's asking us to reflect on what it is that dictates how we walk, how we stand, where we sit. Saying, what is it that governs your pattern of life? What is it that dictates your step in life? What is your source of truth? That's what the psalmist is wanting us to wrestle with. Is your source of truth the word of God? Or is it anything or anybody else? He's asking, what guides your pattern of life? What's your source of truth? And the psalmist is making the case here in this verse that the law of the Lord, or another way to say that for us to to think about it today, is the word of the Lord, scripture, the Bible. He's saying that's the best place to find the truth to govern your life. So that's the best place to do it. And he's saying it's reliable. You can trust it. And he does that with the two verbs there. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates. So those two verbs, delight and meditate, help us see the reliability of scripture. So let's dig into them. First of all, uh, how do we know Scripture's reliable? First of all, you delight in it. You delight in it. That's how we know it's reliable. Say, what are you talking about? Okay, there's a spiritual component to Scripture. There's a spiritual component to the reliability of Scripture. The, The very fact that we go to a source like the Bible testifies to its reliability. Because here's the thing. We don't desire things that don't exist. We don't desire things that don't exist. And so ducks long for water... And there's such a thing as water. And babies long for milk. And there's such a thing as milk. And we all long for answers. 
and truth. And there's such a thing as answers and truth. And for so many of us, we find that in the scripture. That, that in some way we can't quite put our finger on when we hear the words of God or when we read the words of God, they ring true for us in a way that we can't fully grasp. That it's, that's a miracle. That in some sort of unexplainable way, God has put it on our hearts that the words of the Bible are his words. And that we delight in them. So it's reliable. And some of you, that makes you uncomfortable because you say, well, Gabe, that's all sort of very subjective, sort of esoteric, metaphysical, sort of abstract right there. That doesn't really prove much by itself. No, it doesn't. I agree. Which is why he also uses the word meditate. It says meditate. Meditate on the word of God. And the, the word for that, the, for Hebrew, in the Hebrew is the word haga. Haga. And haga is a word with a large semantic range, uh, meaning it can have a large variety of meanings depending on the context that it's in. And given the context that it's in, this word haga really seems to be driving towards an idea of, of pondering or musing or thinking. And so it says, if this psalmist is saying, not only is scripture reliable because it rings true with your spirit, but the psalmist is saying it's reliable because it's true intellectually, rationally. It's logical to find scripture to be true. It's logical. And see, so often in our culture, people like to set up a, a dichotomy between the spiritual and the rational. It's got to be one or the other. It couldn't possibly be both. And what the psalmist is saying here is that's a false dichotomy. That it doesn't fall outside the realm of reason to believe that the Bible is the actual revelation of the living God. So just follow this train of thought with me, all right? We ready? Thinking caps on? Phil's ready. School starts tomorrow. Here we go. Um, so <laughs> that's the second week in a row I've picked on you. I'm sorry. All right, thanks, man. Um, <laughs> uh, so so we, we trust the Bible to be the word of God, okay? We do at this church. That's what we believe. And here's why, though. Because Jesus talked about it that way. That the person of Jesus Christ, an actual human being who lived on this earth, who walked the streets of first century Palestine, talked about scripture as though it was the words of God. And so if we believe Jesus to be who he said he was, the son of God, then it only makes sense, it's only logical that we would trust his words about the rest of scripture. And so really what it comes down to then is how can we know that Jesus is who he said he was? Right? That's where it falls back to. How can we know who Jesus is, who he said he was? And that's where it comes down to us trusting the historical reliability of the Gospels. Are those actual historical accounts about what went on in the life of Jesus? And uh, I've done a message, you can go back on our, our podcast and our website, where I went through a bunch of historical manuscript, external evidence. It's really fun if you're into that sort of thing. And so you can go back, dig into that if you want. We don't have time this morning to do that. So I just want to make this point really quick. That in all of ancient literature... There is nothing like the Gospels. Nothing like them. That the reports of the deeds that Jesus did, that the miracles that he did, that the words he spoke are as extravagant and as elaborate as ancient myths. But the amount of detail and historical relevance that the Gospel writers put in are even more detailed than the histories of ancient Rome that we use to base off of anything we know from that time period. There's nothing else quite like them. And so the only way to explain that sort of coincidence is that the gospel writers were actually reporting history. They were reporting what they were actually seeing. The uh, brilliant apologist, and uh, he was the, the chair of medieval 
literature at Oxford University in the, the early 19th or 20th century. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it like this. T speaking of the Gospels, he wrote this. I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, myths all my life. I know what they are like. I know that not one of them is like this, speaking of the Gospels. Of this text, there are only two possible views. Either this is reportage, that is historical factual reporting, or else some unknown writer in the second century, without known predecessors or successors, suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic realistic narrative. If it is untrue, it must be narrative of that kind. The reader who doesn't see this has simply not learned to read. And I love that last sentence. That's Lewis being a professor and just being a little condescending at the end there. But um, no offense to professors. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but bottom line, if, if we can trust Jesus, we can trust the Bible. And so if we can trust the Bible as God's word, then what's going to happen is we're going to find great value in it. It's going to do things that will shape us as we spend time in it. Look with me at the next verse, verse 3. It says this, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And so the psalmist says that, that someone who meditates on God's word, who soaks themselves in the words of God is like a tree planted by water. And the image, of course, being that, that a tree that's by water, its, its roots go deep into this water, and, and it's got this constant source of water, and so it's, its health and its life and its sustenance, and everything it has is being drawn from this water. And so the, the psalmist is saying the person who's rooted in God's word will reap the same sort of benefits. As you're rooted in God's word, that same sort of benefit will come uh, from that. And so according to that, uh, to verse 3 here, the value we get from being rooted in God's word is threefold. You see it here. You yield fruit, that is, you produce fruit. Your leaf does not wither, that is, you, you persevere through life. And that in all you do, you prosper, that, that there's, there's hope in any situation that you're in. And so how does that happen? How does being rooted in God's word produce that sort of value? Well, as you regularly go to God's word as a source of truth and life, his spirit actually works on you through that. That it shapes you into the sort of person that is enabled to go through any season of life and bear fruit. That is, bring goodness to others. Go through any season of life and find strength and experience hope. As you drink deep of God's word, the great value is added. Here's what I mean. Uh, earlier this summer, we did a, a fundraiser for Wendy Neat, uh, who is the co-owner of my office, uh, Roaster's Coffee Cafe, uh, slash future home of Axe Antioch. And, uh, and the reason we did this fundraiser is because over Memorial Day, uh, she was diagnosed with a, a rare form of sarcoma cancer. And uh, the medical bills were just outrageous. And so our church got together and, and, and helped the family out, which is wonderful. Um, but unfortunately, this last week was uh, not a good week for her. And, and um, uh, she was rushed down to, to MD Anderson in Houston. And uh, according to her husband, Eric, uh, at this stage in the game, the cancer's been so aggressive and advanced so much that all they can really do is, is make her comfortable. And, uh, and Eric and Wendy have three kids. And so these kids are, are facing the very real possibility of saying goodbye to mom. Uh, and in the face of this, her husband Eric recently uh, put a post on Facebook that I want to share with you guys. He wrote this. In times of crisis, God doesn't want to give us strength. Rather, he wants to be our strength to endure. Keeping this in mind, I had a really tough conversation with our children the other day about this. While I personally know our human response leans towards anger, 
I also know that the word of God says that when we received Christ, we were given the spirit of God. And that the fruit of the spirit is the opposite of anger, but love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He goes on. Our 12-year-old daughter told me yesterday that she had a dream and saw the verse Isaiah 54 verse 10. When I looked it up, the title over 54 reads, The Future Glory of Zion. His daughter's name is Zion. It says this, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And then Eric continues, To sit back and read that verse, knowing what I know overwhelms me. To see our kids at such young ages, while concerned about their mom, they stand in the fight with us, with their mountain-like faith and hope. Now friends, that's fruit, right? That's strength. Like, that's hope, that in the face of incomprehensible pain and grief, this family is drinking deeply from the word of God. And can I tell you that that's not an accident. That didn't happen sporadically. is isn't just because they're in a hard circumstance that the words of God are, are flowing from them, that they're finding comfort and peace in the midst of this. That's years. That's hours of time spent pouring over God's word that has shaped them to be able to yield that kind of fruit in a time like this. Because the reality is, overly simplistic platitudes and cliche truisms that, that we find online or hang in frames around our houses just don't have the weight to get us through circumstances like that. The only thing that does is the supernatural truth found in Scripture. And so, brothers and sisters, not only is Scripture reliable and trustworthy, but as you meditate on God's Word, you will find it produces fruit in you that you didn't think was possible. You didn't think was possible. And so you say, okay, Gabe, I'm in. Sold me. Meditating on God's Word is a good practice. Now, how do I do it? So glad you asked. Verse 4 gives us a hint. It says this. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And so in this verse, the psalmist points out something about the wicked. He says, the wicked are like chaff that the wind blows away. In other words, the wind blows the wicked to and fro. They're not rooted, they're not stable. And you say, well, Gabe, how does that help me learn how to meditate on God's word? Well, I'm just give you a hint. Whenever the Bible says that the wicked do something, I just want to encourage you, do the opposite of that, okay? Do the opposite of that. It's good, it's good practice. Uh, and so, so if the wicked are blown to and fro, don't be blown to and fro. Be rooted in God's word. Be firm in God's word. In other words, consistently find time to engage God's word. Consistently find time to do that. And I encourage you, do it daily. Do it every day. You say, hey, I don't, how do I do that? I've never done that before in my life. How do I do that? Let me say this. It depends on who you are and where you're at in your journey and, and how you're wired, okay? There's no specific way to do it. So let me just throw a few out there that are helpful. Um, for Acts Church Lander, whenever we bring someone on staff, in their job description, we have it, uh, it's part, part of the contract that they engage in God's word every day. That that's just part of the deal, that if we're gonna lead this church, if, if God's called us to, to serve his people here, we need to be in his word in communion with him. And so that's, that's what we do. And, and so we all go about it differently, though. And so I just want to share a few of those. I'll start with myself. So I, um, I go through books of the Bible 
Uh, and so I start early in the morning, first thing I do in the morning, and, and I, uh, I go through books of the Bible. I do a gospel, and then I do a New Testament book, and then I do an Old Testament book. And when I finish one, I go to the next, and I go to the next, and I do it section by section. And so every morning I get up and I read a section of, of Scripture, and I do what I call a soap, and I'll have that up here. Uh, and that's, I like to write, it helps me reflect. And so I just write out a piece of the Scripture that I read, a verse that I read. I write out an observation I had, something that jumped out at me that I was like, oh, I didn't notice that before, or I summarized the text, I'll just do something like that. Then I do an application. I say, all right, how does this word ring true for me today? What, what, how do I apply this to my life? How does this dictate my moves today? And then finally, I write a prayer based on my time of studying God's word. Uh, and so that's what I do. It just fits who I am. It fits me stylistically. It helps me process things. Uh, and you're welcome to use that tool if you want. We can talk about it more if you want. But that may not be where you're at, and that's fine. So let me just share a little bit more about some of uh, the other practices of our staff. They don't know I'm doing this. Uh, so Sandy, uh, she uh, is our, our business administrator, and, and she uh, does daily devotions. She's got a devotional book that she digs into, and, and it's got scripture at the top, and she reads that, and then there's an author that helps her unpack the text for her. And so that's how she spends time meditating on God's word. Uh, Matt gets up at four in the morning to work at Starbucks, so he waits till he's done with his shift there, and, and then he gets into God's Word, and as far as I can tell, he just kind of reads it, and it just, that's Matt, you know, and he just reads it and lets it sit on him, and I know he's been reading through Romans lately. Um, and then uh, Tanner, wherever he went, our uh, new director of, of worship arts, uh, he, uh, you know, doesn't like big words, and he really likes pictures, so he uses a, a children's Bible. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. His parents are here, so I had to give him a hard time. Uh, no, actually, last time I saw him reading, he was at Roasters uh, reading the Bible in, with, with friends. That, that he, he reads it in community with other people and talks about what, what he's, he's receiving from it. Uh, side note, though, uh, for those of you that are maybe new to the Bible, children's book is an awesome place to start. It really is. It gives you the overview of Scripture. gives you the big story. You can see it. Highly recommend Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones. I'll buy it for you if you want. So good. Um, and some of you are like, Gabe, I don't read. All right, all you're talking about is reading. I don't read. Fine, you should, but fine. Um, my my brother-in-law, he's not a reader, okay? Doesn't work for Acts, because he's not a reader. And, um, and no, no, that's not why. Uh, and, uh, and what he does, he has an audio Bible. And so he just hits play on his phone, brushes his teeth in the morning, does his hair, and, uh, and that's what shapes his day. He starts his day off just listening to God's word, just meditating in that. And so my point here is that there, there, just, there isn't an exact right way to meditate on Scripture. But the point is, there is a wealth of resources available for you. We live at a time and in a place where we just have an embarrassingly large amount of resources to dig into God's word with. We just do. So we got to take advantage of that. Soak it in. Sink into it. Find out a way that works for you to consistently do that. And some of you, man, it's still just like, nope, too intimidating. Can I tell you? Simplest thing. Download uh, the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. Send you a verse. If you don't have a smartphone, oh, it's 21st century. Give it a program, okay? Download uh, YouVersion Bible app on your phone. Sends you a verse of the day. Read that verse every day. Ask this question. What does God teach me in this verse? What's he teaching me about him? What's he teaching me about me? Every day. Take 30 seconds. Just start there. Start small. Meditate on God's word every day. It's reliable. It's valuable. You can engage it daily. And finally, there's a great result that comes from it. Look with me at the last verse in our text. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
And so this verse says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the way of the righteous. And the, the Hebrew word there is the word yada. And it's not just know in like an intellectual sense, but it's actually know in a very personal sense, in, a, in an intimate sense. And so what it's saying is, is God knows the righteous personally. He knows the righteous intimately. And that sounds all well and good because we might think that we're righteous. But unfortunately, as you read through the rest of the book of the Psalms, a consistent theme is that no one is righteous. That none of us are. That's actually a consistent theme through all of Scripture. That none of us are righteous. That none of us could know God. And that God could know us. Just couldn't happen. And so what's the psalmist doing here? Why does he have this at the end of his verse? At the end of his chapter? It's because he's driving us to see our inability. He wants us to see that we aren't righteous. That we can't come before God. That we don't deserve his word. That each one of us turns away from it. See, this is the result of engaging Scripture. So often we think the Bible is a great guide for life, and it is, and you can use it that way. Wonderful. But ultimately, if you read Scripture, the end result is it's going to show you your sin. That again and again and again, as you dig into God's Word, you'll find you don't measure up. You'll find you're not living up to God's standard. And so the Bible works as a mirror, and it shows you your sin. But the good news is it doesn't leave you there. See, Scripture will show you your sin again and again and again, but it won't leave you there. It will always point you to your Savior. It will always point you to your Savior. Scripture says no one is righteous. No one. But then in Romans 3 it says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, you can read the Bible all you want, but if it doesn't point you to Jesus, you're doing it wrong. You can meditate on the Bible day and night, but if it doesn't show you your desperate need for a savior, then you're wasting your time. See, the purpose of meditating on Scripture is not simply to help us navigate life. It's not simply to comfort us when times are tough, though it's great that it does that. The ultimate purpose of Scripture is to show us our Savior, is to point us to Jesus again and again and again. To show us our need for Him. To show us what God has done for you in Him. So there's a Soviet cosmonaut that returned uh, after being up in, in outer space. And, uh, and he came back and, uh, and he said this. He said, I've been to the heavens and I didn't see God up there. And uh, this was uh, during the, the Cold War. Uh, I, of course, remember it. And um, that was a joke. I was not alive. Um, and, uh, and so, but, you know, it's Cold War. And so it was kind of this like atheistic communism, sort of like taking their little jab, like, ha he wasn't up there. And, uh, and C.S. Lewis uh, actually responded to this guy, to what this guy said. And he said this, Lewis said this, he said, for this guy to, to go up to the space and talk about not seeing God, it'd be as if Hamlet were to go to the top of his castle and say, I see no Shakespeare, therefore Shakespeare does not exist. That's just silly, right? What's the only way Hamlet can know if Shakespeare exists? Is if Shakespeare writes himself into the story. 
You see, this is what we have in our God. That in the person of Jesus Christ, God wrote himself into our story. He showed us who he was. He showed us his love for us. That we might be in communion with him. And so won't you spend some time getting to know him in his word? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for my friends and for this day and for this time to dig into your word and to let it speak to us and shape us. God, I pray for, for my friends to know you more and more, to hear your words, that they would shape them, they'd give them strength, that they'd bear fruit, but most importantly, Lord, that your words would point them to you, that they'd point them to their Savior. Lord, help us always be focused on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.